Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that would like to remind you that skinny people are easier to kidnap, so stay safe and eat more cake. He is the captain. And you know what's good with cake? A little bit of wine. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week we are going to brighten things up a whole lot today because in the garage fridge we have Snozberry by the brewers of legendary beers Green Man Brewery in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. This is a bright wheat beer, wild fermented and aged for a year in oak barrels. And of course the Snozberries give this beer a fruity aroma and beautiful, a beautiful magenta color. Garage grade Four out of five bottle caps. And we're drinking cold beers today in the garage thanks to our good friends. First up, I want to give a cheers to Winona in St. Louis. And a big shout out to Molly in Charleston, South Carolina. Here's a cheers to Howard in Las Vegas, Nevada. Go Raiders. And a big we like your jib to Abby in Tacoma, Washington. Next up, a big shout out to Rick Webster in Weatherford, Oklahoma. And last but certainly not least, we have Robert in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and donated to this week's beer fund. And for that, we thank you. Pittsville, it's it's the pits. It's the pits. <laughs> you want to support the show? You, do you? Do you really? Go to iTunes and leave a five-star review. It really helps the show. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
August 2nd, 2015, Wahlberg, North Carolina. Sometime around 3 a.m., an emergency call is placed to 911. The male caller is asking for help. He says he has injured his son-in-law while defending his daughter. The caller goes on to say his son-in-law is in bad shape and very matter-of-factly adds, I may have killed him. What is the address of your emergency? Um, my name is Tom Martins. I'm at 160 Panther Creek Court. And we need help. Okay. What's uh, going on there? My, my uh, daughter's husband, um, my son-in-law, um, got in a fight with my daughter. I intervened, and I, I think um, he's in bad shape. We need help. Okay, what do you mean he's in bad shape? He's hurt? He's, he's bleeding all over, and I, I may have killed him. You know? All right, okay. Let's um, back up here just a minute. Give me your address again. Make sure I got it right. 160 Panther uh-huh. Creek Court. What is your name? My name is Tom Martin. All right, Tom, give me the phone number you're calling from. Two times, please. I don't know. Uh, what's the phone number I'm calling from? I, I don't know. I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm, I'm the uh, father. I'm visiting. Uh, I, I don't know. Was he drinking? Uh, yes, he had been drinking during the course of the day. I mean, My partner's dispatching the, the uh, ambulance in the officer while I get the information. Okay. All right. Are you right with him now? I am. How old is he? How old is he? 39. All right. Is he conscious at all? No. Is he breathing? I can't tell. All right. What I need for you to do is I need someone to roll him onto his back, flat on his back. Okay. Hang on. He's a big, heavy man. I can't do it. All right. Is there anyone there that can help you? My daughter, and she's in terrible shape. Okay, someone needs to get him on the back, on his back. We need to verify his breathing. I'm trying, lady. Hang on. Okay, just put your phone on in, on the speaker. Okay, I've got him rolled over. All right, I want you to put one hand under his neck, the other hand on his forehead, and tilt his head back. Put your ear next to his mouth and tell me if you can see or hear or feel any breathing. Yes. I, I can't see anything. No. All right. I'm sending the paramedics and ambulance to help you now. Stay on the line. The call lasted 14 minutes and 27 seconds. For much of the duration of the call, the 911 dispatcher is instructing the father-in-law and his daughter on how to administer CPR to the injured man. The phone is handed back and forth between the two as they can be heard performing CPR. Once EMTs arrived, the caller and his daughter were told to let them do their job. The last thing that can be heard is the caller saying, Molly, Molly, come on out of there. When authorities arrive at the scene, it is a bloody mess, and the man on the floor was dead on arrival, his head bashed in with a baseball bat. The father-in-law 
and wife of the victim tell the investigators that they had killed him in self-defense and the defense of another. But authorities tell a much different tale. This is True Crime Garage, and this is the murder of Jason Corbett. At 3.04 a.m. on August 2nd, 2015, a call came into the Davidson County, North Carolina 911 call center. The caller was a male who said he needed help. A 39-year-old man was badly injured. Davidson County Sheriff's Deputy Dave Dillard rushed to Panther Creek Court in Winston-Salem. When he arrived at the home at 3.16 a.m., he found a naked deceased male lying on his back on the floor in the master bedroom, which is located on the main level. Jason Paul Corbett was pronounced dead at the scene at 3.24 a.m. Attempts by paramedics to revive him were futile. The man on the phone was Jason's father-in-law. His name is Tom Martin, and his daughter and the wife of the victim is Molly Corbett. And we will get into these two in a bit, but Captain I want to talk about the medical examiner's report. Jason was delivered to the medical examiner in a body bag, naked save for his wedding ring. The August 3rd autopsy report on Jason prepared by the office of the chief medical examiner in Raleigh, North Carolina. We have the report and it concluded the following blunt force head trauma, which includes multiple lacerations. Extensive skull fractures, abrasions, and contusions of the head, including two large, branched, full-thickness lacerations of the scalp. Other blunt force injuries, scattered abrasions and contusions of the torso and extremities. In other words, Jason Corbett had been beaten to death. Found clutched in one of Jason's hands was a long, blonde hair. Jason's blood alcohol level was 0.02%. His tox report showed ethanol levels of 20 mg, not enough to be considered drunk, but the sample was not taken until August 3rd. So it's hard to know how accurate this was. He also had an antidepressant and sleep aid in his system at less than 0.5 milligrams. The manner of death was ruled a homicide. But we heard his father-in-law say that he was drinking all day. So do we think that the delay of the testing had an effect on that as, as far as his alcohol level was concerned? Well, I threw that in there for clarity purposes, but not being you know, a doctor, I don't know if it actually has an effect on that tox reading or not. But I wanted to be clear that it was not conducted immediately but we also know that that sleep aids and depression medicine are not a good mix with any alcohol correct correct and i and i actually just from a lay term you know from from a lay perspective i don't think that that it would have much of an effect on the 
accuracy of the test, but I wanted to throw that out there for clarification purposes. Let's examine the lives of this homicide triad, shall we? First, we have our victim, who is Jason Corbett. He was born on December 2nd, 1976 in Ireland. He grew up in the Janesboro area of Limerick City. He loved beer, soccer, and his native land. I can get behind all that right there. Interviews with his co-workers indicate that he was a very well-liked guy who was very friendly and easygoing. Jason had been married twice. His first wife was Margaret Corbett, who had died in 2006 from cardiac arrest, this triggered by an asthma attack. She left behind the couple's two very small children at the time. This is Sarah and Jack. After her death, Jason had hired several nannies to come into the home and help with the children. This was before finding Molly Martins, who was from Tennessee. He found her through a nanny service. Molly moved all the way to Ireland to take up her new position as the caretaker for the Corbett children. This was in 2008, Captain. And it's my understanding that Molly's situation, and I'm, I'm guessing that it was the same w with the other nannies as well, but this was like a live-in nanny type situation. Yeah. So Molly was born in September of 1983 and grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee with her parents, Tom and Sharon, and her three brothers. The family lived a very nice lifestyle, living in an exclusive neighborhood and belonging to a yacht club. Molly was a competitive swimmer in high school. She attended Clemson University, this for a period of time, but it doesn't appear that, that she graduated from the university. According to her online profile, she did do some modeling. She also reportedly worked a couple of jobs and nannied and taught kids swimming lessons. In her early 20s, she lived in a condo owned by her parents and was engaged at that time in her life. Molly told 2020, you know, the news magazine show, that she suffered from migraines and depressive episodes. She wanted to change. She wanted to change in her life. So in 2008, now at the age of 24, Molly quite suddenly ended things with her fiancé and moved to Ireland. This, of course, to work for Jason Corbett. By 2010, Jason and Molly were engaged. Molly's father is retired FBI agent Thomas Martins. Yes, you heard us correctly. Tom, the man who called 911 and admitted to killing his son-in-law by hitting him in the head with a baseball bat, was an FBI agent for 31 years. He worked as a supervisor for 19 years and as a special agent in charge of the Knoxville office. At the time that Jason was killed, Tom was retired but still worked as a counterintelligence officer for the Department of Energy. He had top-secret clearance. Molly's mother, Sharon, was quite impressive as well. She had an undergraduate degree from Emory University in Atlanta and was a doctor of mathematics. In 2011, Molly convinced Jason to move with her to the States. Reportedly, she was homesick. She told 2020 that Jason was excited for the kids to experience life in the U.S., well, he's a big fan of America. Their family moved to a luxury development in Wahlberg, North Carolina. 
a neighborhood of Winston-Salem. They purchased a large brick home in the Meadowlands, an upscale golf community, for $390,000. They were married on June 4th, with the two children serving as the ring bearer and flower girl. Jason assumed a position as the manager of multi-packing solutions, receiving a U.S. work visa to allow him to live and work in this country. The packaging plant was owned by the company that employed him in Ireland, so it was kind of a smooth transition for the family to the States, and his company arranged for him to transfer into that position. Let's skip ahead four years. Now we're at 2015, to the afternoon of Jason's death. Jason mowed the lawn and then sat outside with his neighbor. The two men drank about seven or eight beers each and then split a 32-ounce can in two glasses. Molly's parents arrived from Knoxville for a somewhat last-minute visit. This is around 8.30 p.m. at night, Captain. They had pizza with Molly, Jason, and Sarah, and then later Molly picked up Jack from a birthday party. This was at 11 o'clock that night. They all went to bed, Tom and Sharon taking the room in the basement. Now, the next thing that we know, 911 is called. Jason is dead, and Molly and Tom appear to have killed him. So let's try to dissect this whole mess, shall we? As we heard in the 911 call, Molly and Tom told authorities that Jason attacked Molly, choking her and threatening to kill her. In separate initial interviews, Molly and Tom told investigators this story between the two of them. Tom and Sharon were sleeping in the basement guest room, and Tom woke up because he heard loud thumps coming from the floor above. He grabbed the baseball bat, which that will be a big part of this case, and you heard that a little bit of that in the 911 call. This bat apparently is a gift that the grandparents brought along with them for young Jack, but they had not give, they hadn't given the bat to the kid yet. Right. So he grabs this bat and he runs upstairs. Sharon stayed in the guest room. This with the dogs, this was per his instructions per Tom's instructions to his wife. Tom says he heard a scream from the master bedroom. He opened the door and found Jason choking Molly. He ordered Jason to let her go. Jason said that he was going to kill her and started dragging her toward the bathroom down the short hallway. Right. When he opens the door, though, Jason's hands are out. Like, think of a eighth graders dancing, but instead of his hands being around her hips, his hands are around her neck. Think of the old Simpsons episodes when you can see Homer choking Bart. That's what I picture. Yeah, and then when he said, when Tom says, hey, you got to stop choking my daughter, he turns her around and almost puts her in like a rear naked choke, you know, like where his arm is now around her throat and she is now facing her father, but she is now in between her father and her husband. And according to this story, he starts to drag her toward the bathroom, which is down a short hallway. And I think that people should look at the pictures available online of the crime scene to have a better understanding. 
it sounds like he would have to leave the room to do this, but keep in mind, this is the master bedroom. The it's master suite. Yeah. So there's a little, there's a little like tiny hallway that is yeah. a part of the bedroom that goes to this bathroom. He, they don't have to leave the room for him to drag her in this direction. Yeah. Basically this is three to five feet, but it's the fact that once he gets her into the bathroom, he could then separate himself and, and his wife from Tom by shutting the door. And Tom's going to do his best to make sure that they do not make it into that bathroom behind that closed door. So he hits Jason on the head with the bat. He says to protect his daughter. And this is an act of self-defense. He then says a full on fight ensued, which Tom referred to as a Donnybrook, which I had to look that up. That seems like an old school term, but from what I found it, Webster Webster's dictionary defines it as an uncontrolled fight. So okay. this Donnie Brook breaks out. We have Molly and her father both trying to protect each other and fend off an enraged Jason. Mm-hmm. The fight migrated from the bedroom into the hallway and back into the bedroom again. But let's start with this first hit though. As Jason is moving him and his wife backwards, you can't just take a baseball bat and conk him on the front of the head because you then could conk your daughter on the front of the head, right? So this initial hit, he's kind of coming from the side, swinging the bat from the side. So when he actually makes contact with Jason's head, it's like to the side or more towards the back of the head. Yeah, this from the injuries that we talked about briefly in the medical examiner's report, this looks more toward the uh, the the scalp area, the side of the head, but toward the scalp area as well. If th- that's a whole thing though that we got to get into as well. So Molly tells the investigators. I, I'm just going based off of what Tom said the hit and how he swung it towards Jason was. So Molly tells investigators that Jason grabbed the bat from her father and then she tried to help her father by hitting her husband in the head with a concrete paving stone, which was in the bedroom because she and the kids had planned on painting it for a garden that they were making. Now, our friend Jess was able to locate a copy of the written statement to police by Molly. This was conducted right after they found the body, and here's what it says. Now, bear with me, Captain, because I'm trying to read through Molly's cursive here. It says, My husband, Jason Corbett, was upset that he woke up, and an argument ensued with him telling me to shut up, etc. And he applied pressure to my throat neck. She says throat slash neck and started choking me. At some point I screamed as loud as possible. He covered my mouth and then started choking me again with his arm. My father, Tom Martins came in the room and I cannot remember if he said something or just hit Jason to get him off me. Jason grabbed the bat from him, and I tried to hit him with a brick, and then she says uh, garden decor, I had on my nightstand. 
I do not remember, and then here's a word that I cannot I cannot decipher what it is. I do not remember blank after that. At first, I thought it was much. I do not remember much after that. Or I I, I don't think much would be good though because I think you'd be you would be pushed to you can't just tell police oh I don't remember much after that. Well, tell us what you do remember. You know, uh, no, so it's got to be some other word. I think that's a pretty common thing it, when when uh, a fight breaks out or even like sometimes you're in a bar and it's that that's a common phrase that I've heard my friends say, well, and then we're at the bar and then and then he said this to this. And next thing you know, he smacks him. And then I don't remember much after that. No, I get that it's a common phrase. I mean that you in this situation, you're not allowed to get away with that common phrase. You you would be. You would be pushed by investigators to clarify what much means. Well, much that's, much well, implies that you still know something. That's debatable, and we'll get into why that's debatable later. But you have individuals that are taken in and questioned, and they're not interrogated. It's it's very loose, if anything. And then they're sat on their way. There's not much of an interrogation. Correct. Correct. Staying healthy and strong is more important than ever. I try to get my steps in every day and eat right, but to help me stay resilient and well, I use Objective Wellness. Objective offers targeted solutions for things like better sleep, firmer skin, or a healthier immune system. The products are crafted with high-quality ingredients backed by science to deliver specific results. Objective sources active extracts from blueberries, saffron, and even microalgae, which provides an antioxidant 6,000 times stronger than vitamin C. Objective knows that wellness looks different on everyone, which is why Objective focuses on targeted solutions, giving you support exactly where you need it. What I love about Objective Wellness is they start with the right ingredients and then figure out the most effective way to get them into you for the best results. Sometimes it's a pill. Sometimes it's a powder you add to your coffee. Sometimes it's a chocolate mint to help you sleep. Objective helps me feel my best and they can help you too. Go to objectivewellness.com and use code GARAGE to get 20% off your first order. If you're not completely satisfied, you can get a full refund. That's the objective promise. Again, that's objectivewellness.com, code GARAGE for 20% off. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products discussed or advertised are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Check out objectivewellness.com today. Bringing comfort into your home is the ultimate form of self-care, and now is more important than ever to take care of yourself and each other. So put comfort first. Brooklinen.com is the home of the Internet's favorite sheets. Brooklinen has got over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. And starting April 29th, Brooklinen is having their biggest sale yet. The birthday sale. Happy birthday. Get everything from bedding to towels to loungewear and more at savings you will not believe. I have made Brooklinen part of my everyday routine because it is so fabulous. It makes me start off my day feeling wonderful. My morning routine is fantastic with the extra soft sheets that I wake up in my bed and then I have plush towels in my bath area. 
all from Brooklinen. It's made my bedroom an oasis, and it's the perfect place for me to dream and escape and sleep at night. A good night's sleep is priceless, and I get mine with Brooklinen. If you like softness, if you like comfort, essentials to help you relax, then Brooklinen has it all. Brooklinen.com is the perfect place to find all the comforts for home. And they're so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, loungewear, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. The birthday sale kicks off April 29th, and you don't want to miss it. Get their biggest savings of the year on sheets, bedding, towels, loungewear, and their newest hammam and linen collections. And if you can't wait, you can get 10% off your first order and free shipping on all the new sheet right now when you use promo code GARAGE only at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment and get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything that you share is completely confidential. And it's so convenient, you can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you're not happy with your counselor, then you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Our listeners even get 10% off your first month with discount code GARAGE. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com slash garage, then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash garage. All right. Cheers, mates. Cheers to you, Captain, and happy, 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 happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Keep I will your go distance. In, I will go into song and dance after we finish this recording and rounds of drinks on me at the bar today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Since we're allowed to go to the bars. Before we move on, I want to point out uh, not only that it's your birthday, the beloved Captain's birthday, but there are and were many sources of information for this case. This is actually a bigger case than most would think. Some of the information we have comes from the Irish Times, from the Irish Independent, but truly my main source of information was the extensive coverage of the case by the Winston-Salem Journal, particularly the reporting of Michael Hewlett. So I wanted to pass that along in a uh, kudos to Michael Hewlett for his great coverage of the case. Now, officials were very tight-lipped about what went down that night. But two weeks later, the sheriff told the Irish Daily Mail newspaper that Molly and her father were, quote, persons of interest in Jason's death. He told the news outlet that Jason had been bludgeoned to death with a baseball bat and that investigators were not seeking suspects outside of the home. And look, there are really no two ways around it. It, The crime scene 
Well, I actually, I think what we should, in all fairness, is call it something different. Let's say the death scene, because there's a decent argument that this was not, in fact, a crime, but was self-defense. Well, there was a crime happening. It's called abuse. And if you're being choked and somebody's saying that they're going to kill you, you have the right to defend yourself and then with or defend somebody else. And then in that action, somebody then dies. So self-defense. Again, if those stories are true, that's that's the whole importance of this case, right? Is it self-defense or is it not? Is it murder? So what is so important is the death scene. Because to me, I look at all these photos and it just does not make sense with the stories that are told to investigators by the only two people that survived the fight. Right. This is when you have to let your forensic people put together the scientific facts of the death scene, the facts of the body, the injury sustained by the decedent. And now the detectives, well, they need to start to go to work on some type of paper trail. If you in fact do think that this was murder, or if you do in fact have evidence that suggests this, they are suspects. And here are some of the reasons that are listed for why they become suspects. At 3.13 a.m. the morning of the death, two emergency medical service officers arrived at the scene, followed by a second unit of two more. One of these officers described the room as real bad, a horrible scene. They said that they moved Jason Corbett's blood-soaked body from the master bedroom to an ambulance outside. No heart rhythm was ever detected. Two of the paramedics commented on how cold or how cool was their actual word, how cool the body was and questioned if there might have been a delay in calling 911. Right. At 4 a.m., the crime scene examiner at the Corbett home arrived on the scene. Within the next hour, both Tom Martins and his daughter Molly Martins Corbett are transported by officers to the Davidson County Sheriff's Office, where they are interviewed, photographed, and their blood-stained clothing is taken for forensic analysis. Both had barely a scratch on their person. You know, we talked about that, quote, Donnybrook broke out, or as Cosmo Kramer would say, a real brouhaha, and seemingly no marks on these two people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. That is the speculation. The problem we have is we have one man getting in confrontation with another man protecting his daughter. He then calls 911. They bring him down to the station, and they talk to him. Not that long. There's not much of an interrogation. They basically take a statement, take a couple pictures, and send you on your way. They didn't do, they could have done more of an extensive investigation of the persons at that moment. I don't believe there was an extensive investigation of the persons, of were there injuries, were there bruising. And on top of that, if you think that, it's a possibility that this wasn't self-defense. You call the individuals in a day later, two days later, see if there was bruising, see if there was any injuries after that, see their demeanor. 
take more pictures to to see. We we only have one set of pictures. Again, I, I just don't think they did enough. I will I'm gonna disagree with that. That's I, fine. I, I'm I'm with you. There there does not seem to be any interrogation that night. I prob I agree with you on that end. I would have pushed for that immediately. Where I do I, I don't think that there's look, there there's just no injuries to these people. That whether whether you took significant amount of pictures that night or the next day or what have you. There just there is not injuries to either one of these individuals. Again, that's where I'd argue because if somebody is choked, sometimes they, they have a redness around their neck. She does not, but that doesn't mean that two days later there wasn't some kind of bruising around her neck. But she was interviewed during the course of those two days. So she was interviewed initially right after the attack happened. Correct. But I don't think they were ever interviewed after that. There was no second follow-up interview. That that does not seem to be the case. These people were talked to quite a bit. And well, the, that's that's not what that's not what Tom Martin says. The the thing is though, I I just don't one, I don't see any injuries on these two. And two, on top of that, we don't have either of them claiming to have any injuries other than the one of the of being choked. But I, I really don't think that that where, where the media or where the public points out that that's such a big issue, I don't know that I find that to be that big of an issue because the story that they told to investigators does not imply that there should be significant injuries to either one of these individuals. Right. You know, we, we don't have either one of them saying that, that Jason hit Tom with the bat. We have one of them saying, I thought he was going to hit Tom with the bat, right? Not that he did. So them not having injuries doesn't, doesn't really point to any sign of guilt to me or that their story is, is a fabrication, but I, we, we would be remiss if we didn't point that out because every story you go to, that's the, the key thing that they want to point out in this situation. I would think that there'd be some kind of bruisings or one around her neck or around her arms where he would grab her to pull her in I'd also like to see, I would assume that there would be bruising on Tom as far as like maybe his back when he talks about, I mean, we're talking about an individual that he's wrestling with that's almost 300 pounds and, and Tom is an older man. And I would just, I would also just think as him being an older man that he'd be more likely to bruise. Again, I think if there was follow up where you're, in, where you're investigating of the person and you're taking more photos that maybe you would see some bruising on, on Tom's back or something. The problem that no injuries really points out is that at some point dur during the course of this fight, this Donnybrook, this brouhaha, whatever you want to label it, is that the aggressor, you know, if we are to believe the stories of Tom and Molly, the aggressor would be Jason. At some point, he is no longer the aggressor and he just continues to get beaten to death. That's the problem with them having no injuries. So we have Dr. Craig Nelson, who conducted the postmortem examination. He says that the victim's head is so badly damaged that when the doc attempts to adjust the scalp, pieces of skull fall out onto his, his surgical table. The blows to his skull were so violent and repeated 
that the doctor said it was impossible to make an accurate count beyond that Jason suffered a minimum of 12 hits to the skull. Well, and we have what Tom's saying that it's at least three or four. Yeah, but but you have a doctor saying that that it's we, more than that, right? It's right. it's a minimum of twelve, and past twelve, we can't even. It's impossible for us to tell because the the skull's in such bad shape mm-hmm. that we can't determine anything after. Which that. isn't consistent with their story. No, not at all. And then, as far as a paper trail, you know, we're talking about your forensic guys got to come up with the scientific evidence. Now we got our, our detectives trying to come up with some type of paper trail or circumstantial evidence. Let's get into some of that. We have Molly's parents, Tom and Sharon, who lived four hours away. Apparently they had dinner plans that night for that Saturday night that fell through. According to the reports, Tom made the decision that the two should make a spontaneous visit to see Molly and the kids. For whatever reason, Investigators viewed this impromptu visit as very suspicious, saying it's quite out of character for her parents. Now, Jason may have been planning a trip to Ireland. This is a, a hotly debated issue inside this, this case, that Jason was planning a trip to Ireland to, that was going to take place around August 21st. According to an affidavit, the trip was allegedly for the purpose of him moving back to Ireland with his children, but they had no intention of taking Molly with them. Right. The argument against this, though, against this thought, is that Jason's father was turning 80 years old and there was going to be a big party for his birthday, that the trip was simply for that party. Obviously, they're having problems within their marriage, but one of the problems was Molly wanted to have custody of the children. She's raising these kids. She's now their mother. She wants to legally adopt them and Jason's not having this go through. He keeps saying he's going to, but because they're having problems in the marriage, he's not doing it. So in regards to this trip and what it's actually for, you know, we have Molly and her family saying that it was just for Jason to attend this party. We have Jason's family who's saying, no, he intended to move back with the children without her And that's why if this went down, if it was premeditated murder, that's why it had to happen before the 21st. The problem with us trying to decipher what exactly was going on there is at the end of the day, no one knows for sure because the man planning the trip is, is dead. He's, he's not here to tell us what his intentions were. Right. And there are the financials, you know, we see reports of Jason possibly moving large sums of money from his bank account here in the States to his home bank in Ireland. And there's talk of quote, large sums of money and quote, having been removed from some of his and Molly's joint bank accounts. Now the thought on that, on those large sums of money from the joint bank account was she possibly moving some money in advance. Mm -hmm. Well, because if this is premeditation, one, you're going to, kill this guy that doesn't give you the rights to stay their mother stay the mother of the children so you're taking a risk on that level but also this money that money might not go to you at all that money might go to towards the kids depending on how um, the will is set up correct correct so i want to go back to the the scene of the crime because to 
to me or the death scene, whatever we want to call it. Because to me, I think that's a big, big aspect of this case. The, the scene inside the bedroom, as one would expect, was a bloody one. The crime scene photos, which are available, again, available online, show blood spatter on the bed, floor, and walls. There are multiple sprays of blood on the carpeted floor near the doorway. There are large blotches of blood about 12 to 18 inches off the ground on the wall, also near this doorway. And the blood spatter and smears on the walls of the hallway. There is even blood spatter behind the door on the wall. Mm -hmm. Also on the electrical outlet and on the AC grate there. There's some on the, the bed as well. A concrete paver lay on the carpeted bedroom floor covered in blood. An aluminum 28-inch Louisville Slugger baseball bat was leaning up against an ornate wooden dresser. An upright vacuum cleaner sat on top of some of the blood stains on the carpet behind the spattered door area. Later, an affidavit stated, quote, the struggle described was not consistent with the evidence at the scene, particularly the master bedroom, end quote. And to tell you what, Captain, I cannot agree with that statement more. Yeah, you can actually see these pictures online. And at, at first you go, Here, here's this retired FBI agent of 19 years. There's a couple of things that start making you question this initially is, he tells his wife to stay downstairs. Well, they have some dogs there, so that somewhat makes sense. But initially, the sound scares him and spooks him enough that he would grab a baseball bat. If it was just an argument that he's hearing between his son-in-law and the daughter, there is no need to grab the baseball bat. But the initial sounds, he doesn't recognize, so that's why he grabs the baseball bat. Mm -hmm. But if you're that nervous, tell your wife to call 911. Or at some point you say, hey, if things get out of hand, call 911. She never calls 911. So we don't know how long the delay was. So the, the story that I used earlier, Captain, was a was of my choosing. Because in the two accounts that I saw that, that are on public record that he gave of that night, what woke him up to want to venture upstairs... In one story, he says that he's hearing thumping or thuds on the floor above and hears a scream, grabs the bat, goes upstairs. Right. In the other story, and I, I don't, I want to be clear here. I don't think that he, I don't think that this is any uh, admission of guilt here. Omission of guilt. The other story, he says that he hears the thumps or the thuds, but never mentions a scream and goes upstairs. Right. So... I'm with you, Captain. I think that if you're just, if you knew that it was to be your daughter or you were hearing an argument between husband and wife, you don't grab the bat. I'm, I'm right. fully on board with that. It, regardless, though, it, it seems a bit weird. So under this scenario, I'm guessing he, according to him or the story he's presenting, he goes upstairs to investigate these suspicious sounds and does not decipher that it's coming from husband and wife until he's already at the top floor, at the main floor, right. with and, bat in hand. And what Molly is stating, because we have to have this argument that takes place. Well, 
the argument takes place, and what Molly says is that the, the daughter woke up, should go to the door, because if she went into the door, she'd get yelled at. So she's at the door, basically. She's scared. Molly gets up, puts her back to bed. When she's coming back to bed, it's it's pretty late. So Jason wakes up with the attitude. What are you going, why are you coming to bed so late? Who were you talking to? And she's like, I'm, I was just putting the daughter back to bed. This is what she claims. That's when the fight broke out. But that's not how investigators think that this went down. Well, the baseball bat is collected into evidence, obviously. And according to a police affidavit, quote, it appeared to be covered in wet and dried blood. The baseball bat also had what appeared to be human hair attached to the barrel of the bat. The baseball bat was black and red in color with black rubber hand grips on the base. A concrete paver with blood on it was collected as well. The police photos of Molly Martin's Corbett taken that night show a distraught looking young blonde woman with blood on her forehead and in her hair. She is clothed in a multicolored pajama tank top and pants. A little blood is evident on her clothes. She appears in photos to have virtually no marks on her, as we said earlier, save one tiny red mark on her throat. And others have pointed out that she is wearing a delicate looking bracelet on one wrist, which many have questioned, why did that not break during this struggle? Right. Tom Martins, Molly's father, was photographed looking sheepish. He has ample blood smears on his shirt, but his arms and hands look, uh, they're, they're significantly less bloody than the shirt. He was not photographed in the boxer shorts. So he was wearing boxer shorts when this whole thing went down. Mm-hmm. Neither had any visible scrapes, cuts, bruises, or swelling at that time, which again seems unlikely, but it also doesn't go completely against their, their story of how it went down. I question where it goes to at some point was the self-defense and turned into mur- like, could you have stopped beating this man at some point? And as you pointed out, captain, uh, Jason was a large man. As far as weight goes, I have him upwards of 260 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now, both Tom and Molly were interviewed by police. I mean, you hear on the nine one one call, Hey, this guy's a large man. It's hard for me to, to turn him over. Right. Uh, both were interviewed by police and released. As you said, this within seven hours of the time that they were taken to the sheriff's office. I do want to go a little more into some of these crime scene photos because these things are, there's a lot to look at in these. There's a lot to, to look at and try to put your own, I don't want to say spin, but put your own opinion on what you think that you're seeing. Right. When I first look at the, the, the photo that I think is of the most interest to me immediately is the one, and anybody that's seen these online will know immediately which one I'm talking about. There's a picture of the master bedroom door, and it's open. It's about halfway open. And there's a vacuum cleaner with the cord kind of strung out along the floor and it's wedged between the wall and this, uh, master bedroom door. 
You see blood on the carpet. You see blood on the vacuum cleaner. You see blood on the walls behind the vacuum cleaner, behind the door. Mm-hmm. So there's some, there's immediately, there's some puzzling things about that portion of the scene. We can decipher that the vacuum cleaner during the course of the bloodied attack was lying on its side because the blood that is on the wall behind it could not have physically got there with the vacuum cleaner sitting upright. The other thing too, is if you look real close at the vacuum cleaner, the blood was dripping from side to side on the vacuum cleaner, which is scientifically not possible if the vacuum cleaner was in the upright position when it, when this blood is spraying on it during the attack. Right. So somebody took the time to put the vacuum upright um, or put it upright and in this location in the room prior to these photos being taken which seems a little strange to me unless it's paramedics just simply getting it out of the way when they try to save this individual's life who by all accounts is, is dead by the time they arrive on the scene. The other puzzling thing too, is that when you see the blood on the wall again, behind the vacuum cleaner, it's also in a location where you question the position of the door during this attack. Because if the door would have been fully open or even in its half open position, as we now see it in the photo, it does not appear to me that some of that blood would have made its way to where it did on those walls, having the door being in the open position. The other troubling thing too, is if you look at the door jam and if you look at the floor, there's and this is just outside of the master bedroom. There's blood on the door jam. There's blood on the floor. There's blood on the, the backside of both sides of the door. Yeah. Meaning, but, that, but that could have been, who knows? I mean, the door could have been open at some point and the door shuts, you know, everybody has doors in their house that they don't like to stay open. They, they swing shut. So that's a possibility or they use the stopper to, open up the door because they know that the the EMTs are coming. I don't know. I just, I question why there's blood on both sides of the door. I I think the bigger thing is, is where the blood splatter is happening. It's happening mainly three feet and down. And so this guy that's almost six foot tall and you're talking about smacking him in the head a couple times with a baseball bat, you'd expect to see more of this splatter coming, you know, in that six foot range. Um, and then think about where the baseball bat would be hitting this individual and where you'd be, you know, the, the backswing would be happening. Yeah. Several portions of the, of the, the big batches of blood that we see on the wall are 18 to 12 inches off of the, off of the floor. And I think this is the initial reason why investigators went, okay, their story, you know, he's an FBI agent of 19 years. We want to believe him self-defense of your daughter, but the majority and big, big amounts of blood are happening 12 inches off the ground. Show that two people are beating a man in the head while he's on the floor. Right. That I mean, that's what it looks like to me. Well, not only that, and I know you don't love my blood on both sides of the door 
speculation or, or suspicions. Well, I'm just saying I don't I don't know how great uh, unless you're looking at the images, it, it's kind of hard to understand. I well, understand what well, you're saying, but what I'm pointing out is it it looks to me like the majority of the I, and I keep calling it an attack, which is is probably not the proper word, especially for those that believe it was in fact self defense. But for a lack of a better term, let's just say attack. It looks to me like the majority of the attack, once the victim is bleeding, because we know that neither of the other two individuals suffered injuries that caused them to bleed. So this is all victim's blood here, all Jason's blood. The majority of the bloodied portion of the attack appears to have taken place to me while the door was closed. That I have a bit of an issue with that when in Tom's statements, he says, I went upstairs and I opened the door or you have Molly's statement. My father opened the door. That gets a little tricky for me when I see that the majority of the blood takes place and it's coming out when the, while the door is closed. Well, right. But my, again, I don't know the door and I don't know the room, but I know of several rooms in my house that if you open up the door, step through it and don't touch the door, it's going to shut. Right. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that it would be, it's very suspicious to me when you have stories of the person open the door there's no blood in the story until the door is open and now we have crime scene photos that tell us that the door was closed when most of the blood took place yeah i just wish there was more questioning done uh i wish there was more photos taken again there's there's also more photos taken that we're just not we don't have the privilege of seeing again. I mean, we can go round and round as much as, as you want. I'm just, I'm just stating I'm just saying there's very logical reasons there's, why the door would be. Th- there's probably 10, 10 logical reasons. The problem is it doesn't fit the narrative of the story. And that's what we have to go off of. We have to be able to look at their story. We have to be able to look at what the scene presents us with and then then we can decide we don't have to decide what is true and what is false what is 100% what is 0% it's not that black and white but we can decide what is suspicious and that is very suspicious and that's just my opinion the other thing that you can see too is that if you mark up where the blood is dripping on the door on the inside of the master bedroom door you can mark it up with the marks on the blood stains on the carpet that would be where the where the door position would be when it was closed. Again, it it doesn't prove anything, but to me, it's highly suspicious. It almost presents a different scene that does not go along with the story. It presents to me that there was already blood in the attack going down by before this door is even opened. Therefore, if that is the case, Then we have a scenario where Tom, according to Tom and Molly's stories, Tom could not have been the first person to hit this man in the head. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe there's, again, a million logical reasons why the door ends up being shut before the attack happens. I think the more damning evidence or what the investigators were looking into is, like we talked about before, the the blood splatter being on the lower half of the walls. Oh, 100%. That's what they're honing in on. I'm just telling you what I see when I look at this. And now uh, another photo. 
This one is of Thomas Martin's that was taken when they were photographing him for the injuries uh, or just photographing his person for uh, the purpose of evidence for later. Right. One thing I noticed on, on one of his photos is there's dried blood on his watch, which I find to be suspicious as well. Why? Why? Well, you wear a watch. Mm-hmm. Do you sleep with your watch on? No, but was he asleep? I wear a watch. I don't sleep with my watch on. I'm no, not what saying. I, what I'm saying is I don't know when he, is he claiming that he was asleep and woke up? Yes. Okay. Every, every statement he gives, he, the noises woke him up in the middle of the night and he ventures upstairs with the bat. Look again, maybe he sleeps with his watch on. I, I don't, I can't think of somebody that I know that does. Either do I. What I'm po- what possible I'm just po- that because he was tired, maybe he fell asleep. Maybe he fell asleep with his watch on. It's the same as the door. There's there's many reasons to to explain it away. However, if he is if he is somebody that does not sleep with his watch on, then that means for there to be blood on his watch, one of two things took place. Either he woke up and he was so startled and he had to go upstairs and investigate this this noise, but he stopped to take the time to put on his watch, which does not make sense. No. Or he killed the man, and then before calling 911, he puts on his watch, which, why would you delay the 911 call if you're, if you're calling for help, which that's the first thing he says on the call. Right. We need help. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's not any proof of guilt or any proof of murder, but to me, looking at it, it would be suspicious. It would be, I would question why... Well, and that's why. Why that's the scenario. That's why I have a big issue with the fact that they should have been questioned multiple times. And because it could be a simple explanation. Well, I fell asleep. We we sit up in bed and watch a little TV before we go to bed. And, and a lot of people do this. And you're fully clothed. You have your watch on. And at some point you wake up, take your watch off, take your, you know, you know what I mean? Like get ready for bed. Maybe he... Maybe that's the simple explanation. Um, but again, we don't have more than one statement from him. So that that's all we can go off of. We don't have more than one statement from him from that night. But And then the other thing that I think is a little weird too, and this this not as weird as the other two things to me, but the, the paver, the garden paver stone is, appears to me to have a lot more blood on it than the bat, which yes, if we go by their story would make some sense because Jason, his head would already be bleeding. He would already been bleeding from the head by the time he was struck in the head with the paver. So there's already more blood flow going on at that time, or it could suggest a different story where the stories we have from Molly and from Tom state he was hit by the bat many more times than he was hit with the paver stone. Mm -hmm. You could also take it the other way and say, well, maybe all of this blood and hair on the paver stone actually suggests that he was hit more with the paver stone than the bat.
Today's show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Whatever struggles you are facing from depression and anxiety to trauma and grief, BetterHelp can connect you with a professional counselor and a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, as well as chat and text with your therapist. Anything that you share is completely confidential. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Our listeners even get 10% off your first month with discount code GARAGE. So why not get started? Simply go to betterhelp.com garage and fill out a questionnaire to get matched with the counselor you'll love today. That's betterhelp.com garage. Thanks to everybody for joining us here in the garage today. Please come back and join us again tomorrow. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.